0: you've left the door open for them to move in. Demons are kind of like that. They'll, they'll come into your life if you leave the door open. That's why the Bible says don't give the devil a foothold. But he doesn't have to be there. With the authority of Jesus, you can command it to leave and it has to.
1: Welcome to The Dismantle. Creating community, not converts. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Dismantle Podcast, a place for community, not converts. I'm your host, Joey. Thank you so much for listening to our final episode before our series finale. We are really excited for what we have in store for you on this episode. If you're unfamiliar with the show, we have dialogues and conversations with guests who have experience with subjects that have been problematic or tend to be problematic for the church in an attempt to build bridges and not barriers. Our guest today is Mark Driscoll. Mark has been doing ministry for over 25 years, and together with his wife, planted Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona, where they live with their five children. He's been named one of the most influential pastors by Preaching Magazine over those 25 years, and has written many books, including Vintage Jesus, Who Do You Think You Are?, and his latest book, Win Your War. Mark, welcome to the show.
0: Good to be on. Thank you,
1: man. It's really good to connect, man. Thanks so much for saying yes.
0: You bet. Just uh, sitting at home today, so all worked out. It's good.
1: So, Mark, before we dive into our conversation, which I've really been looking forward to, how did you get introduced to church? How did you get introduced to faith? And what is some of your background with spiritual things?
0: Yeah, so I grew up in a family that was moderately Catholic. You know, there are some people that are devout Catholic. My mom would go to church pretty often. Um Me, honestly, didn't really care or have much interest. I did believe in God. I kind of considered myself a spiritual person. Sometimes I would pray, you know, if I was kind of in a pinch and feel like I needed to throw out a lifeline. Um, But, uh, and I tried to be a good person. At least I tried to be what I thought was a moral person. Then at 17 in high school, I met a really sweet, cute, nice girl who happened to be a pastor's daughter. And she became a friend, and she eventually bought me a Bible, and then I go off to college. And uh, at a state university, I ended up kind of opening that Bible and starting to read it just out of curiosity and became a Christian. And so um, then I started going to church, learning how to pray, started studying the Bible, got into some discipleship, small groups to learn more about the Bible. And so my life kind of pivoted. I just turned 49 here recently, so it was 30 years ago. I was 19, and happy to report the girl that bought me the Bible is my wife. We've been together 31 years, married uh, 27, and we've got uh, five kids, three boys, two girls. So I always tell single guys, if a girl buys you a Bible, buy her a ring. That's the deal.
1: That's fantastic. Well, thanks for sharing that, Mark. Yeah. So today on the show, we're discussing the unseen realm. A large percentage of the U.S. population believes in a spiritual realm where 67% have stated that they've had a spiritual encounter of some kind. Yeah. And just over half believe that there is a guardian angel specifically for them. They believe in prophetic dreams where the spirit realm gives revelation. All of these things connected sort of go into this spiritual realm Mm -hmm. that we can't really see. Mark, what's been your experience growing up with the spirit realm, and how has that changed over time?
0: Being a, you know, kind of a little bit Catholic growing up, I mean, you heard about angels. I mean, we were a Catholic family, so we had like what was supposed to be, you know, pictures of angels. I now know that, you know, that's not the way it really is. Um, but I, I believe that that there was a God, and God or the supernatural realm, the unseen realm, could have power and do things, but I didn't understand it. And until I started studying the Bible, the Bible talks a lot about not just human beings, but spiritual beings and not just the world we see, but the world behind that world, the world we don't see. And so you're only, you know, a few pages into the Bible when Satan shows up. Well, here's Here's an invisible being from the unseen realm that shows up in the physical world and creates a lot of problems. And so um, one of the things I I love, I'm a Bible teacher. I've preached or taught through about almost half, somewhere in that neighborhood, of the books of the Bible, kind of verse by verse. And one of the things that I love about the Bible is everybody has experiences, but we don't know how to interpret them. Like, where did this come from? What does this mean? How am I supposed to respond? That's a big service that the Bible provides for us. It explains to us kind of what's going on, how to interpret our experience and how to respond to it. And so that that's that that's kind of what led me into the topic, was going through books of the Bible
1: now, like you just mentioned, there's the Satan character we see right in the beginning of the book of Genesis. And I think church people primarily would say, "Okay, he's the big, bad guy, and Jesus is the conquering hero, And that's really all there is to this battle. Of good and evil but as your book dives into there's a lot more going on what does the Bible have to say specifically about angels demons what we would classify as spiritual warfare
0: yeah and so you know if you had to pick one word to describe our culture today I think a good candidate might be war I mean you wake up every day you turn on your phone and it's like, okay, what's the war today? Culture wars, trade wars, terrorist wars, political wars, economic wars, moral wars, you know, I mean, electoral wars. It's just, it's overwhelming. I mean, I think most people, honestly, they're a little battle fatigued. It's just the war never seems to stop. And what, what the Bible says is behind all of our battles is one big war. And that war started in heaven it started with a God and created beings. And it says that God had divine beings that he made. Sometimes they're called angels, the sons of God, uh, the divine council, the heavenly host. It's angels and other divine beings. And that all of a sudden, one of these beings decided that they wanted to change the way that the universe was governed. Uh, this being wanted to Have a sort of a coup attempt and recruited with him, Jesus says, a a third of the heavenly host. And there was this war in heaven. Revelation 12, 7 through 9 actually says there was a war in heaven. And so they declared war on God. They lost that war. They were cast down to the earth, but they keep bringing the war. They bring it to people, they bring it to nations, they bring it to culture. And so, you know, that's where the Bible says that our, our war is not against flesh and blood, but powers, principalities, and spirits that. And this explains why, you know, we can't just naturally solve our problems. It doesn't matter how many elections we hold, how many dollars we spend, how many wars we wage, how many candidates we elect. It's still the world is broken and fallen and people are hurting and things aren't working. It's because there really is a personal enemy of God uh, who also is actively seeking to harm humanity and to lead people astray away from the healing that God provides.
1: Now, this has sort of been one of my questions personally, but I also think it connects. We can have that conversation that there's a spirit realm beyond what we can see constantly waging war, but what does that practically look like? How does that play out in our day-to-day?
0: That's awesome. Thank you for asking that. Um, My wife, Grace, and I wrote the book, When Your War, and we break it into four categories. We say that the war tends to be in your relationship with God your relationship with yourself, your relationship with others, and your relationship with the church. And that those are kind of the four fronts of war. He's trying to, you know, hurt your or sever your relationship with God, wants you to not know who you are and live a very discouraged, defeated life, wants you to have a lot of interpersonal conflict with other people, And then be wounded at the church so that you run and never come back. I mean, ultimately, that's what he is constantly working on. And so what we like to say is um, you either live hell up or heaven down. And that when all is said and done, you know, Jesus comes back, which I'm looking forward to, and everything is done. There will only be two cultures. There'll be heaven and there'll be hell. And every day we kind of live in the middle and we make choices that either invite heaven down into our life or pull hell up into our life. I'll give you some examples. Truth invites heaven down. Lies pull hell up. Forgiveness invites heaven down. Unforgiveness pulls hell up. Um, The Holy Spirit comes down from heaven. If you choose to walk in that which is demonic, evil, deceitful, the counterfeit, you're pulling spirits from hell up into your life. And so we like to tell people every day that practical decisions you make are inviting a culture and and spiritual forces into your life. So it's really practical. And a lot of times it's stuff that we don't even think is highly spiritual, like, like forgiveness. Well, God forgives. Heaven is the culture of forgiveness. Satan and demons are never forgiven for anything. They never forgive anyone for anything. And so even when you're hurt or you've been abused, or betrayed, or abandoned, or used, if you don't forgive, you're literally inviting hell up into your life. You're going to be tormented, and haunted, and angry, and sick, and miserable, and grumpy. And it's all spiritual warfare.
1: Now, to me, this is somewhat of a basic question, just due to my own personal experience. But I think for the sake of the show, I'd love to ask the question, do Christians have any power... To step into spiritual warfare, to control the outcomes of certain wars that are waged within the here and now?
0: Yes. And Jesus said, All authority is given to me. So we don't have authority, but Jesus has all authority. And it says that we are in Christ. Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, uses this language a lot to talk about our position is in Christ. So um, we share or are delegated the authority of Jesus Christ. If you think of it like a commander in chief and then their soldiers, you know, the soldiers come in the authority of the nation under the jurisdiction of the commander in chief. Well, Jesus is our proverbial commander in chief. And when we march off to spiritual war, we come with the authority of our king and his kingdom. Now, what that doesn't mean is we can just run around telling spirits and beings what to do. It says in Zechariah chapter three and in the book of Jude chapter nine, The Lord rebuke you. So the battle isn't ultimately between us and them, it's between God and them, and we come as His representatives and His authority, and we do have spiritual power to command certain beings that are tormenting, haunting, lying, um, confusing, sometimes even making us sick. I had a woman in our church this last week who has had a chronic debilitating medical illness as far as I could tell, for many years, it was a, a very dear older woman. She came up to me after the service, and she said, uh, she said for years, doctors haven't been able to diagnose what's wrong with me. Um, I've just been living in pain and suffering. And she said, I was reading the book, and I thought, well, maybe it's spiritual. So she said, so I just, I prayed against this, and I rebuked this sickness in Jesus' name. And she said, honestly, Pastor Mark, she said, I got healed. I have had no symptoms or problems and it, this is the first time in my life. I said, well, how long have you been you know, better? She said, a few weeks. I was like, that's amazing. So she, not all sickness is demonic, but sometimes it is. And, and even in that moment, her exercising her authority, it healed her and, and restored her life.
1: Now, I'd love for you to unpack this. You have this idea in the book of binary thinking. And how it should play into our thought process about the supernatural? Can you dive into that a little bit? Yeah, um, and hey, thanks
0: for reading the book. Sometimes when I do interviews, they haven't read the book, so thanks for knowing what's in the book. I appreciate that. Um, the big idea there is that God creates and Satan counterfeits. So we, the first, you know, the first thing we, le- we learn about God is that He's Creator. Genesis one one. In the beginning, God created. I mean, so God's the Creator. Satan doesn't create anything, but he counterfeits. Second, Second Thessalonians uh, 2, I think it's 9 and 10 says, uh, speaks of the work of Satan as counterfeit power, signs and miracles, every form of evil deception. So it's counterfeit. And so God creates, Satan counterfeits. And so I'll give you some examples, angels, demons, obedience, rebellion, truth, lies, spirit-filled, demon-possessed, cleansing, defilement. Humility, pride, forgiveness, bitterness, worship, idolatry, contentment, coveting, peace, fear, unity, division, shepherds, wolves, God esteem, self-esteem, covenant with God, inner vow with self, the flesh, the devil, freedom, slavery, revival versus a riot, life and death, church and world, and kingdom and hell. And those are all the chapters and subjects in the book. And it's saying, for everything God has created, Satan is seeking to counterfeit it. And he wants us to be deceived because he's a deceiver you know? And so, um, and so what that results in is binary thinking. In my, you know, when I teach here at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona, I tell our people all the time, you can't think biblically unless you think binary. It's not just, oh, we believe in the supernatural. No, we believe in angels and demons, you know? Oh, well, we, we believe in a higher power. No, we believe in Jesus and counterfeits. Um, well, there's, There's that which is true and that which is false. And it's not just your truth and my truth, you know? Um, And so to, to get into the Bible, you have to think in binary terms. This is right. This is wrong. This is of God. This is against God. And if you can't think in binary terms, you have zero discernment in the spiritual realm because you just assume everything is good. And I think that's what happens in spirituality You you have angels and demons, good and bad divine beings, and you're sort of opening yourself up to any of them and then just hoping that it works itself out. And so spirituality can be very deadly and very dangerous.
1: Mark, I know the word Christian can be multi-defined by various groups. For the sake of our discussion, can a Christian, a person who has committed their life and their person to Jesus Christ, be demon-possessed? You know, we read a lot about demon possession within the Bible. It's not an uncommon thing. And I think a lot of people are unsure about the answer to that question. What's your thoughts on this?
0: Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of, when you get into the issue of spiritual warfare, it's usually one of the first questions that people ask. And so, um, you know, the short answer is no. If you really are a born-again believer, um, the Bible says you've been transferred, Colossians says, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Um, You have gone from what Jesus says in John 8, that is, the devil is your father, to God is your father. And so once that adoption from God has occurred, your relationship with God, your eternal life, it is absolutely secure. Um, Now, that being said, a Christian cannot be possessed or owned by the devil, but they can open themselves up to internal influence. I'll give you some examples. Uh, Peter, who is obviously a believer, is with Jesus, says something, and Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Peter in that moment wasn't demon-possessed, but he was delivering the devil's mail. Satan said something to him, and then Peter echoed it, and Jesus rebuked what was ultimately behind the message, and he pointed out the source of the message. So in that moment, uh, Peter was being influenced, though he was still a believer. He wasn't controlled. Uh, but he somehow participated. I'll give you another example. In Acts chapter five, there's a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. They make a covenant vow that they're going to sell a piece of land, give the proceeds to the church. They hold back a portion for themselves to steal from God. And Peter looks at them and says, you know, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? You've not lied men to men, but God. And why has Satan so filled your heart? And they were believers numbered with the early church. But what Peter is saying is you've opened yourself up to work with the devil. So you can be a believer who's owned by God and Satan can't own you, but you can open yourself up. I'll give you a simple analogy. So let's say you're living in your home. You're the owner of your home. um, You open the door, leave the front door open, and some squatters come or criminals come and move into your home and live in your home and wreak havoc in your home. They don't own your home, but you've left the door open for them to move in. And so you can evict them because they have no legal right to be there. But as long as you welcome and tolerate them, um, then they're just going to squat. Demons are kind of like that. They'll, They'll come into your life if you leave the door open. That's why the Bible says don't give the devil a foothold. It's like he gets his foot in your front door and eventually next thing, you know, he's moved into your house But he doesn't have to be there with the authority of Jesus. You can command it to leave and it has to
1: Now there's something that you mentioned in a chapter About this idea of the inner vow. Mm -hmm. What is the inner vow and why should Christians battle against them?
0: I think we all have these and we all struggle with these. I think this is sometimes the demonic is very overt. I think this is one way that it's very covert. And and so what we mean by that is God creates a covenant for us to be in covenant relationship with him. The counterfeit of that is a vow to yourself. And usually an inner vow, and and Proverbs says, you know, don't make a vow. Jesus literally says, do not make vows. I mean, so uh, the Bible's pretty clear on this. But what happens is we get hurt. Someone or something wounds us. Betrayal, abandonment, adultery, thievery, you know, somebody's malicious. Someone or something really hurts us deeply. And we don't want to get hurt there or that way ever again. And so we make an inner vow. And usually it's a never again. Never again is somebody going to do that to me. Never again is somebody going to push me around. Never again am I going to just forgive somebody and let them off the hook. It's, it's kind of a never again promise. And then we are loyal to that vow and we live under the authority of that vow. And sometimes those vows, they become generational curses and they get passed on from generation to generation. Yeah. I have a big heart for men and lead the men's ministry at our church. And I've met guys who are like, well, in my family, we don't say I'm sorry. In my family, the men don't say I love you. And in my family, the men don't give hugs. In, in my family, the men don't cry. I'm like, why? I mean, because actually, you know, Jesus cried and he hugged people and he told them he loved them. So, so why, why, does your, why do all the men in your family need to behave this way? Because at some point in the past, a man or men made inner vows, and then handed them to their sons, and they carried them forth for generations. So I told a guy recently, literally, I was like, that is demonic. You need to go home, tell your son you love him, and give him a hug, I mean, and break that vow. That's been a curse over your family for generations. God doesn't want that for you. And And what happens is you know you've got an inner vow when you start getting really emotional and worked up, because it's an area that you're scared that you're going to get hurt, or something bad's going to happen. And when tested, we become more loyal to the inner vow than God. So God might say, forgive your enemies. You're like, you know what? I'm not going to do it. That's because in that moment, we're loyal to the inner vow. And God doesn't get to be Lord over that part of our life because we've, we've repositioned that authority with the inner vow. And I think everybody has done this. The more you've been hurt or harmed or betrayed, the more likely it is that you have a pile of inner vows that need to be renounced.
1: That's powerful. Mm -hmm. Now, I've talked to many people who watch things like horror films, exorcisms, things like that. But when it comes to this conversation, they want nothing to do with it. And I sense it's just a realm of fear because when the rubber hits the road, you know, things start getting real. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because a lot of people live in ignorance of the conversation. They don't have conversations like what we're having right now. What are some ways that we can safeguard our hearts? And not fall victim to constantly living in fear, specifically around this subject, because, correct me if I'm wrong, but fear has nothing to do with God. I believe that's in the Bible.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, the Bible says that um, God has not given us a spirit of fear. And oftentimes our fears are very powerful because a spirit is attached to them, something that's evil and demonic. And when a spirit of fear comes, you become anxious, on edge, fight or flight response, overwhelmed, emotionally flooded. Um, we've all had these. Sometimes it can go to complete anxiety attacks or even, you know, paranoia or phobia. Um, and so, you know, the Bible says that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. And it says that perfect love casts out fear. So just like truth casts out and light casts out darkness, and the Holy Spirit casts out unclean, unholy spirits. So it is that the love of God casts out fear. And so the, the point there is that fear didn't exist on the earth until sin and Satan. I think it's in Genesis 3.10, if my memory is correct, the first person to say, I was afraid, was Adam, after he sinned against God. Before that, there was no one and nothing to fear. And then sin happens, and Satan shows up, Adam sins, and what he has is fear of God. Not a healthy, reverent fear of God, but an unhealthy terror of God, and he is, hi- he is hiding from God. And so God comes to him, and he says, Adam, where are you? And Adam's hiding, and he says, Adam, why are you hiding? He said, quote, I was afraid. It's, it's hard for us to imagine, but that was the first time that a human being experienced fear. Prior to that, it was not part of life for a human being. I mean, we have so many fears. I mean, most people are gripped, driven by fear. It's hard to imagine a day when there was no fears, but there will be no fear in heaven, and there will be no spirits of fear in heaven. All there will be is the love of God, which casts out all of that fear. And so we tend not to think of fear, anxiety, worry, stress, sleeplessness, phobias, panic attacks as spiritual. But honestly, it ultimately is. And what it causes us to become is false prophets in our own life, you know, predicting a future that isn't going to happen, but, but falsely prophesying a deadly, devastating, destructive future in our own life, and then just living in fear and anxiety and stress every moment moving forward. And there's a ton of people who are doing this and, and their decisions are reactive based on their fears. They're not faith based on the will of God. And what I always tell our people is if you make your decisions based upon fear, you will never arrive at the will of God. Your whole life will be a mess. It will be poorly architected. It will not, it will not be a healthy environment for you to live in. Um, because only faith can provide us that kind of environment. Fear just causes us to withdraw, retreat, fight, and live scared. Well, that doesn't lead to a healthy architected life.
1: So, Mark, what's the church's response to spiritual warfare? What do you think we as the church should be doing to move in a more positive direction on the subject? You know, there's always something we can do, but— if we were going to take one step, what would you suggest that a church do to better handle spiritual warfare? I think
0: we talk a lot about your personal relationship with God, but we need to remind persons that there are other persons, spirit beings that are seeking to harm that relationship with God. And sometimes what happens is we talk about us and we talk about God. And and that is crucial. We need to know who God is and who we are. But if we don't tell our people about Satan and the demonic, We set them up naively um, to to be in danger. I'll give you an example. Recently, there was uh, a woman I was speaking to, um, and she said, "You know, I just have a hard time calling God His Father, and I have a hard time relating to God as Father." And um, you know, I said, "Uh, "Well, why is that?" She said, "Well, my father molested me when I was a little girl." I mean, I'm a I'm a dad. I got five kids, two daughters. I just Every time I hear a story of the abuse of a child, I just literally want to throw up and cry. And I just said, I am so sorry. And she said, and she said, I I can't figure out why God the Father would make that happen to me. I said, no, wait a minute. You think God the Father was in heaven and put together a plan to send your dad into your bedroom to abuse you? She said, yeah, well, he's in control. And, you know, whatever happens is the will of God. I said, well, what do you what do you think about? Satan and demons. She's like, I don't know. I said, do you think maybe it was Satan and not God that sort of plotted that harm against you as a little girl? She said, oh, I never really thought about that. I just thought it was me and God. I hadn't really thought about that. And I I just started crying. I said, sweetheart, God is a father. I'm a father. The father's heart for you is not to, you know, send your dad into your bedroom to harm you as a little girl. I said, that was demonic. That was the enemy. That is steal, kill, destroy. That is is the kingdom of darkness. And she's like, oh, so it wasn't God? I was like, no. And, you know, it sounds a little horrifying, but there are people that are just assuming everything in their life is something God is doing. And if that's true, you're not going to run to him, talk to him, lean on him, because he's dangerous and evil. And so we we have to just tell people there is the demonic, there is evil, that is real. God is more powerful and more real, but just because something happens doesn't mean it was God.
1: These are powerful thoughts, Mark. Thank you, and and thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, where can people connect with you and tell us a little bit about the book?
0: Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, the book is called uh, "Win Your War." It's by my wife, Grace, and I, Mark and Grace Driscoll. Um, uh, if you go to markdriscoll.org, dot um, and or download the Mark Driscoll Ministries app. There's daily devotions. There's like a hundred articles where I answer theological questions. There's over 300 hours of sermons, mainly going through books of the Bible. And this whole series, uh, When Your War is up there. Um, I'm finishing the eight week sermon series here shortly, and we're almost concluded. So, you know, I love people. I love people learning the Bible. And so, you know, if anybody wants to give me that honor, they can just go to markdriscoll.org.
1: Well, that's awesome, Mark. We'll make sure we throw it all in the show notes. But again, thank you so much for being on the show.
0: Thank you, my friend. You betcha.
1: And that wraps up this episode of The Dismantle. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week for our series finale, our final episode that goes into some of the reasoning as to why we're pulling the plug on the show. Until next time, don't complain about the things you're not willing to change. You've been listening to The Dismantle creating community, not conference. Visit us at dismantlepod.com.